This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome episode, ooh, what are we at? 165. Can you believe it? Wow. It's February 12th, 2019 at the moment. Maybe you're listening to this far away off in the distant future. I don't know, but I'm sitting here looking out my window in an incredible snowstorm, ice storm. I don't even know what it is. Tomorrow is my 38th birthday, and uh, I don't know. You know, life is good. Life is good. But I got to say, when you have your birthday in the middle of February like I do, and you're from Canada, I remember very few nice days on my birthday. Typically, yep, they're, they're ice storms, snowstorms, some kind of miserable weather where you're stuck inside. But uh, I hope the tree outside doesn't fall down on my house. Uh, the weight of the ice is, it's looking a little, uh, I don't love it. But hey, regardless, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about music, lead singers. That's what the show's all about. I speak with other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. And today we have a great guest, uh, a very requested guest. A lot of people have asked for this man for a long time, and it's very easy to see why. If you talk about a guy in our scene that's done a lot of stuff and a lot of great stuff, it is this man, Kurt Travis, formerly of A Lot Like Birds formerly of Dance Gavin Dance, currently of, who? let's see, Royal Coda, Pushover, Eternity Forever, also doing tons of solo stuff. This guy wears a lot of hats. He's got a, he's got a hat collection. And uh, I, I was 
so happy to speak with him. And then once we finished this thing, I, I just I think my mouth was open for like an hour after this interview was over because so much stuff here, eye opening stuff, interesting stuff, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. Before we jump on into that, uh, a little reminder: you can get in touch. Very simple. Lead singer syndrome at gmail dot com. I gotta say, I've been getting so many emails lately, and I love that. I love to hear from all the people, and I don't know, maybe it's because, like I was talking about the weather outside, it's so crappy, you're just inside listening to podcasts. I, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but yeah, hit me up on there if you want to, if you're not so happy, if we forgot to talk enough about, you know, I don't know, what was Five Minute Ride, or uh, Oh the Joy, it, whatever it is, you can also call the hate line, 657 657- 666-H-A-T-E. Leave me some hate. You can vent, you know. You can vent about just what about whatever. The cold temperatures, impending government shutdowns. It's really all good. It doesn't have to necessarily be direct hate to me, but I do like the hate. I do like the hate. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We're on all those things as well. And, uh, I don't know. If you like the show, feel free to go on iTunes, write a review. And when you've done all that and you've got nothing left to do, we got like 164 other episodes you can go back and and check out. And if you've done that, all that stuff, and you're a super fan of the show, make sure you check out the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. I thought it was really kind of a funny story. I was in Omaha and Des Moines, Iowa doing a couple emo night shows, which are they're a good time. I enjoy doing them. Shout out to everybody I saw out there in the Midwest and shout out to all the people running it. It was it was a really, really great party. Sold out in Omaha was really cool. And somebody walked up to me with this, you know, the the screenshot of, of one of the episodes that I did. I think it was with Fiddler or, or just maybe he was just talking about the podcast. And he had his phone in one hand and $20 in the other hand. And he was like, here, here, it's free content here. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm not, I'm not taking your money. But you know what? I will. I will take your money if you sign up for the All Access Club. And then, you know, you'll get some stuff. So he's in. Welcome, Doug Keedy. There's so many new members. It has been very cool lately how many people have signed up. So all I ask is you check it out again. The link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. I want to thank everybody who sent me birthday presents already. I got a record player yesterday. How fucking cool is that? I also got a I got a Nintendo Switch game, bunch of clothing, a bunch of gift cards. You guys are too sweet. So thank you very, very much. It makes me feel a little less sad about being two years from age 40. Yikes. All right. Well, hey, let's get in to this week's episode and my talk with Kurt Travis. Travis, dude, it's been a long time. How are you, man? What's up? I'm good, man. How are you, Shane? I'm just here in Long Island, New York, and, uh, you know, finishing up my solo album. I've been here since uh, January 27th, so cool. we're, uh, we're 
we're tracking vocals now. So cool. Very cool. That's where we it's, at, you yeah. know, it's funny with, with most people, you know, in, in music, you go to their Twitter and you say, and it says, Oh, I'm, I'm tracking vocals tomorrow, which, you know, you dropped on your Twitter, I think yesterday. Yeah. And, and most people it's like, Oh, okay. Like, um, I figure they're in this project. They're doing this band with you. It's like, it could be literally anything. because you have so much so many things on the go but this is another solo album yes yeah yeah it's uh it's exciting because i haven't put one out in um i want to say like four years so the last one um was a full-length effort and um had my buddy joseph errington play drums on the last one so i decided yo joe come out and and uh, put your magic on this on this uh, new album, and um, yeah, I mean it's been it's been great so far. So yeah, that's very very cool. And and like you know, you've collaborated with so many different people, um, written songs with so many people. When it's time for you to do another solo album, what goes through your head? Is it is it about trying to get out? the things you couldn't get out with the other projects, you know, in the last four years, um, uh, you know, where do you kind of dig for, for, you know, either things to talk about musical ideas? Uh, how does that kind of go, go when you're doing a solo album? Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, when I'm playing with kind of a rock outfit, it's definitely more aggressive. It's more top of my range, kind of yelly, screamy yeah. at times. Um, but my solo stuff is definitely just basically exactly what I like to do. It comes out kind of like an indie pop sort of thing because that's right. that's what I uh, that's what I kind of gravitate to when you know um, when I'm just you know, sitting around and, and, you know, trying to inspire it is, you know, I love, you know, Mac DeMarco and like oh, Tame yeah. Impala and yeah. stuff like that. And, um, have you ever seen Mac DeMarco live? I have once. He's he a, he's crazy. like so out. Yeah. Out of his mind. We, we were in Germany <laughs> just, uh, just like a couple months ago and we had like a day off and we, we'd played the, the same venue and he was playing. So we, we were able to just kind of sneak in, the back door and watch his set. That's so cool. And, and it was crazy. Like how the music is so mellow, but he's up there like, like, like he's fucking Henry Rollins or something. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> the guy's a crazy character. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's Canadian. So he's my homie, I guess, uh, uh, by nationality <laughs> at least. So yeah, that's no, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. You bring up those kind of acts. Cause you know, I think it's funny how so many of us that are known for, very very aggressive singing or screaming yeah. uh, tend tend to gravitate towards like really mellow shit you know like like David Bazan Pedro the Lion is like one of my favorite artists oh my you know and, and yes. that's like something that maybe you don't would never hear in my music so it's kind of interesting that you have the same um, you know sort of story there with Tame Impala and Mac DeMarco yeah I think that the you know the softer side definitely fuels the other side because when I when I do a record, you know, like like a, one of my solo, uh, out, you know, one of my solo records, I tend to gravitate more towards the aggressive and vice versa. You know, they kind of fuel right. each other. Um, and even on like the first Dance Gavin Dance 
record, I was listening to a lot of Bjork and yeah. just a lot of like Cigaros and, and Mum and just like really post rock. I feel like it rejuvenates you. It, it makes you um, kind of okay with the situation you're in um, and inspires you in a, in a, you know, indirect way. So. Absolutely. So, so do you collaborate with people when you write solo music or is it just you? I mean, you said, uh, obviously the drummer, you said you brought in uh, Paul, but, but um, is, do you write right a hundred percent? Are you playing all the guitars on this stuff? H- how does that kind of work? You know, just logistically. Yeah. So this record I did, which was called everything is beautiful. Yeah. Me and uh, Zachary Bain from the Strawberry Girls, he actually helped me write um, about half of the record. And he would, uh, we live pretty close to each other in California. We live like about three hours away. So he would drive, okay. drive up to Sacramento and hang out with me for a weekend, you know, maybe three or four days at a time. And, um, and sometimes we would, you know, we'd get done a lot of stuff and then, you know, sometimes not so much. But, uh, but yeah, he collaborated with me. On uh, on that record and uh, this record, one of my friends from high school, uh, his name's Matthew Tucker, a uh, really really amazing uh, drummer, and he actually he's really good with Ableton. He oh, yeah. does a lot of things with uh, with um, with synths and stuff like that. And so there's a there's a song that me and him have collaborated on on this one. So yeah, even though it's you know under Kurt Travis, there's there's a lot of people helping me and. You know, um, kind of guiding. Same thing. Mike Watts is, uh, you know, just really good at tone, like just really good tones and like yeah. getting different snare sounds and different guitar sounds. So I cool. would say, like, I wrote the bulk of it, but I'm, de- you know, I'm definitely having help. That's for sure. Uh, no, de- definitely, dude. Um, is it going to come out? Is, are you signed to a label? Uh, who's paying for this to be released? And uh, when can we expect it? Yeah, so this one, um, I'm actually doing it on my own. Um, I have a, a record label called Esk Records. Yes, yes, you do. And uh, yeah, so um, I've never really put out my own solo album on my own label. So this will be a first for me. And uh, yeah, it's totally an all in thing. I'm paying for it all. Um, you know, I flew, I flew Joe in and. Uh, yeah, just uh, I'm really excited because you obviously know, like you know, when you have um, an effort that's that's not on the label, there's there's no hands in the cookie jar. You're literally just getting <laughs> everything. So, <laughs> well, yeah, totally. And I mean, I mean, with the with the way streaming is these days, you know, there actually is money, you know, that comes through them that way. Totally. So I, you know, I totally get get that, but of course, there's a fear. Is anyone going to listen to this stuff? Is anyone going to know about this stuff? Right. Which is which is why bands tend to give up, literally eighty percent, uh, you know, to, to labels because there uh, there's a fear there. I've been, but there, I guess dude. you've just done so many projects over the years that you and you have such a reputation uh, because you put out a lot of very good music uh, that Thank I guess you. you're not too afraid of that. Not anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've, I've definitely, I've been around a lot of labels. I've been around a lot of, uh, recording studios and, and I've just, you know, tried to learn as much as I possibly could. And yeah, I think at this point, a lot of people know who I am and, and, and like my fan base is 
pretty vast. So I feel like <laughs> yeah. if if I can't get it out myself, then you know, oh well. <laughs> right on to the next Kurt Travis project, right. and I'm sure there will be many. <laughs> Uh, exactly. Wonderful, dude. Well, really good to speak with you, man. Thanks for taking the time out of the studio to do this. Um, so I want to go back and I want to talk about the early days, your early life. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this. You're a bit of an enigma. It's a bit <laughs> hard to find, you know, a lot of information uh, about you. Um, you know, I, I do this podcast regularly. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of people and... A lot of times I can kind of find out this stuff, but I actually had quite a bit of trouble. And I don't know if that is because you're a private person, um, if it's just the kind of thing that's buried so deep in the Internet, it's not findable. But um, <laughs> but I'd really love to talk to you just about what it was like, you know, with your upbringing in California. Um, you know, yeah. what, what was it like with your family structure? Did you have brothers and sisters? How was it in school? And then, of course... How did you start getting into to music? Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, I was um, I was born in Scottsdale, Arizona, actually, mm, okay. and uh, because my father um, has family there, and uh, they were visiting, and then my mom went into labor, and so that's that's what happened. But oh, okay, yeah, but I grew up in uh, in Sacramento, California. And uh, pretty much raised there in a, a town called Citrus Heights, uh, okay. California, uh, just like a, a suburb of uh, of Sac. And um, yeah, I, I was an only child for about ten years. Yeah, when I was ten, my uh, well, my parents got divorced when I was two, and then um, it was just me and my mom until I was ten. And then uh, at ten years old, my mom remarried. Mm-hmm. And had um, four more siblings, three brothers wow. and a sister. Yeah. Wow. What a separation. <laughs> yeah. So, and every, so the first, the first uh, sibling was my brother, Jordan. And, um, and we're 10 years apart. And then every uh, sibling after that is two years. Okay. So um, my brother, Jordan, my sister, Rachel, uh, my brother Aaron and my uh, littlest brother Alex, and wow. uh, yeah, and so I went from only child to big family, uh, built-in babysitter sort of thing. Right. Um, and uh, no, it was cool though. It was, it was really cool. I I always wanted to have um, brothers and sisters, you know, and and just you know, I I I didn't like the whole. I'm the only one here, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, yeah, so, sure. I mean, I guess I, I had a sister that was quite a bit older than me too. And I, I can understand, you know, that, you know, how that works. Totally. Yeah. And, and also, you know, I, I, I just really like, I wanted a father too. Like my, my biological father wasn't there. I mean, I pretty much saw him maybe once every three years or something uh, like that. Um, he was, he's very busy. He's, um, this is an, another thing that people don't uh, know about me is um, my biological father. Uh, his name is Kurt Thomas, and uh, and he was a three-time gold medalist in the 1976 World Championships uh, for gymnastics. Wow. Yeah, and um, he actually invented uh, a move called the Thomas Flare, 
which uh, a lot of people do in break dancing. Um, it's it's kind of like a scissory looking. Uh, it's it's not a min wheel or or I think that's what they call it, but it's when you have your hands on the ground and you're doing a circle and then you like spread your legs out to kind of do like this scissor thing. Oh wow! And okay. uh, he he was the first one to do it. Um, and so, you know, yeah, my, my mother, uh, was a gymnast and a professional dancer for Adidas and Reebok and, you know, things like that. So my childhood was pretty crazy. We were always, um, driving back and forth from LA, uh, because that's where the, uh, the, the dance companies were or the gymnastics meets that, um, that my mother would attend. And, uh, and yeah, so, um, there's that. Then, yeah, fast- wow, isn't that interesting? <laughs> I remember Kurt Thomas. I think Kurt Thomas was a player for the New York Knicks, right? Uh, and right. I and I was like, that can't be the guy. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but no, I, I, I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. A bunch of gold, yeah, a bunch of gold medals, and uh, an, even a Razzie for apparently for uh, one of the worst um, movie performances. Oh, in 1985, <laughs> apparently. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just Kata. reading it right now. Yeah, Jim, Jim, Jim Kata? Kata. You know this. Okay, yes. yeah. Wow, this is you know, wow, there crazy. We go. It, yeah, so uh, because of that movie, Jim Kata, there was, um, I was watching Family Guy one day, and <laughs> they're doing this snippet of, of my dad's movie, Jim Kata, and I was like, oh my wow. God, I was rolling because like I, I i of course i recognized the scene and everything and uh it was just i don't know it was just crazy i was just like oh my god <laughs> the, but when i was a kid i would watch that movie all the time because i mean i didn't i didn't really get to see my father that much but uh right but yeah i was just like oh it's <laughs> my dad on the sort of a b movie sort of situation but uh but yeah do you he, have a relationship uh, with him now um, kind of, I, you know what? I have a half, a half brother named Hunter and he right. actually, me and him reconnected because of my music career. It's crazy. Um, and he started hitting me up and, uh, we have a really good relationship. Actually, he comes to my shows and, um, they actually live in Texas. So whenever okay. I'm in Texas, I put him on the guest list and we hang out and stuff and, um, so yeah, like I, I, I don't really have a, a, a very close relationship with with Kurt. His his name is Kurt as well. Yep. yep. Um but uh but his son actually and him have um have kind of reconnected, so um it's pretty cool. He uh my my dad is is, is a lot like me. Like we're very focused and just zealous about our craft and uh he owns a gymnastics gym in texas and uh and he's just he's obsessive about it i know he is and um he's always doing something just like me like i am just never never in one place at one time so yeah i mean we've talked and 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 uh we we've hung out from time to time, but really I hang out with Hunter more and, uh, he's a DJ and, and, uh, you know, he's doing that thing. So 
there's that kind of common thread there of you know just music and uh he likes to pick my brain about the industry and and whatnot and i'm like hey man it's like i feel like the dj world and and our world is uh kind of kind of two different things but uh but i try to try to help him as much i can so, crazy, crazy! Wow, yeah. wow! That's that's really very interesting. Uh, so, yeah. so you had, but I mean, you had a bio. Um, sorry, you had a stepfather growing up, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like your. How do I say it? Like I was, I was going to put it in management terms. Like he was your day to day. Yes. Right. He it, was. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, are you? Are your? Is your mom and and your stepdad still together? Uh, what's What's the yes. relationship with your family there? There like now. Yep, yep. They've been happily married since I was ten, so I'm thirty-five now. My math is horrible. I I, I can't figure you know, that out either. Ex- exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they're they're still going strong. Um, you know, I I I actually changed my name from Kurt Thomas to Kurt Travis um, when uh, when my parents remarried. And, uh, and so he did, he adopted me, um, so to speak. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been cool. It's, he's actually, he was a youth pastor when, uh, when my parents got together and, um, yeah, he's, he's always been very active in the church and, and so is my mom actually. They're, they're very active in, in their own community and whatnot. And, uh, and yeah, so it, I mean, as a ten-year-old, as like you know, twelve years old, having a youth pastor for a stepfather. I mean, it was not your typical Cinderella situation. It was like I was so loved and so cared for. It was awesome, and I needed that structure. And you know, yeah. I mean, obviously in my adolescence, it was like you know, ah, screw you. But you know, it it still they they showered me with love and and we weren't the um the wealthiest family we were actually pretty poor but uh but it didn't matter you know um he went to every single one of my soccer games he's gone to (laughs) countless shows that i've played he's uh even when i would skateboard he would take me to the skate park and and so yeah i mean it, it was it was the father that that i that i didn't have so it was it was pretty cool um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so how did music, uh, you know, become involved? I mean, you, you mentioned the church, you know, you're a singer. A lot absolutely. of times that's kind of how it, how it starts. I totally did, man. Um, I was bored to tears in church, but, uh, <laughs> threw a guitar in, in my hand and, uh, and I, I literally couldn't put it down. And, and so, this is before the internet, so I would I would collect these worship songs with chords on the top of the of the sheets. It was like, okay, you know, here's a here's a song, and I'd collect them like Pokemon cards, man. I'd be like, oh, I don't have that one, you know, and I'd go up to the worship leaders. Yeah, I'd, I'd go up to the worship leaders and I'd be like, can I have that one? Can I have it? It has a chord on there. I don't know yet, and so. <laughs> So yeah, I I, I really kind of took flight there, um, and the worship team would let me play. <clears throat> it was a small church, so it wasn't like a humongous uh, operation. But um, yeah, so they they they'd let me play, you know, rhythm guitar, and I, I actually even played drums at one point um, and bass, and you know, it was it was really fun. It, it definitely engaged me in in what was going on, and uh, just kind of 
solidified my love for music, really. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. And, and you know, there's a lot of um, people in my family that are drummers, are singers. My grandfather was a Frank Sinatra, like lounge singer style. Right. Um, <clears throat> I was going to say, if your grandfather's Frank Sinatra, then we got a lot <laughs> more to talk about. <laughs> just, just he loved to sing Frank. He loved right, to sing right. that style, kind of that big band um, sound and uh, had a very boomy voice. And uh, right. I kind of... Uh, Took it the other I, way there. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, um, when we would go camping, we'd all sing songs around the fire and that sort of thing. And... Um, I remember when when I when I first got a guitar, I was like six years old, and I broke it basically. I didn't even play it, and you know it was it was too young. But yeah. then when I was thirteen, my uncle Wes actually gave me uh, a guitar, and uh, it was still a crappy guitar. But they were like, "All right, you know, if you really want to play, then you'll play this crappy guitar, and then you'll out you'll outgrow it, and we'll we'll give you another one." Um, cause he had a bunch of guitars. And so I, that's exactly what happened. I played that thing until I was like, you know, uncle West, this thing doesn't hold a tune and the strings are, you, you know, what so kind of guitar, do you remember what kind of guitar it was? And do you still have it? You know, it's really interesting. It was called a Trump guitar. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? <laughs> <laughs> And it's kind of funny. It's kind of a joke nowadays. He, it, you know, my uncle Wes will be like, "Hey, do you remember the name of your first guitar?" And I was like, "Don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> don't say it. I don't want anybody to know." But <laughs> yeah, it was actually a Trump guitar. I don't know if he made guitars or what. I um, highly doubt it. But but yeah, it's it said Trump on the on the headstock and. Uh, <laughs> And that thing was a piece of crap. It was like, it was just the worst. Dude, you'd, you'd tune the, the low E and you'd get all the way down to the high E and the low E would be out. You know what I mean? It just, it, and the action was so bad, but it was a good beginner guitar. It was literally right. like, you know, just something for me to bang on before I got something substantial. And, um, and yeah, so the next guitar he gave me was the, was the camping guitar. It was, it was the old Fender uh, old Fender acoustic and it was all banged up and, but it sounded great and it kept a tune and I was there so thankful. I was so happy to have finally a guitar that would stand too. Cool. So <laughs> you're an acoustic guitar by yourself. Um, I'm trying to connect the dots, you know, how you go from that and the church life to, you know, getting into the, the music scene in Sacramento because, uh, you know, in the late nineties when you're growing up and then into the early two thousands, uh, you know, there was a lot going on. Uh, so how did Absolutely. that start, start? I mean, I guess it was probably <clears throat> some school friends, um, you know, because you were in some early bands, you know, like uh, Five Minute Ride. Yeah. The Joy. Yeah. Um, r- records that still hold up pretty well, to be honest with you. But uh, before Thank we you, get man. into that how, how did that, how did that transition come? Like, how did you start playing in bands and stuff? So, yeah. So, um so I was a senior in high school and my class was just kind of, I mean, there was bands in my class, but they were very Green Day. They were very kind of punk rock. Um, mm-hmm. 
and and for me, I I loved punk rock, but I wanted something a little bit more. And um, actually, it was the class of two thousand four, um, the sophomores at the time um, that were really making you know, in my opinion, more innovative music. And so I would hang out with the younger dudes and they were just killing it. So that's when I met Matthew Tucker um, and I met uh, Josh Daly and I mm-hmm. met um, Jason Ellis and um, and actually my, my boy Alex Poole. And, um, and yeah, we, we started a band. They, they were actually already a band and they kind of sounded like Rufio. They were, they were like still pop punk, but they kind of had this edginess to them. Um, the very beginning, like seedlings of emo and screamo and, and, uh, they didn't have a singer. They were just like, we don't have a singer, but I used to play at, uh, this coffee shop. Um, called the Placerville Coffee House, and um, you know that's kind of where we met. Um, I would play there for open mic night, and I would play my guitar, and I'd play, you know, Count Crows covers, and I'd play, you know, Duncan Sheik and Dave Matthews Band and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, the drummer from uh, from Five Minute Ride, they were already called Five Minute Ride, and uh, and he approached me and was like, "Hey, man, we'd really like you to try out for the band." And so I tried out, and it was it was you know it was a good fit. So we started we started playing, and uh, I remember Matthew telling me uh, like, "I want you to listen to this band from New Jersey. They're called One Breath." And they, okay. and they, it was the first time I had ever heard somebody emotionally scream. Like, you know, I mean, of course you hear Metallica and stuff like that. And, you know, there is screaming there <laughs> in kind of a butt rock way, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but I had never heard somebody like, em- you could hear the emotion in his voice and the breaking of, of his, of his vocal cords, um, and just the genuinity and, uh, just throwing it all out there, you know, hard on your sleeve sort of thing. And I was right, like, wow. Right. And he goes, I want you to sing like this. And I was like, okay, like I'll, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll try to do that. And, uh, and we were kind of, uh, you know, kind of one of the first bands in my high school to do that. And we'd get a lot of, uh, we'd get a lot of crap for it. Actually, it was like, oh, you <laughs> oh know, yeah, people make fun of it. <clears throat> sure, yeah. screw those, screw those emo kids. Like they're, they're, oh, go cry somewhere. And we would just be like, haha, whatever. You know, like we're having fun. Well, I, I mean, five minute ride, and I want to get into all this dance, Gavin, dance stuff, and too. So I don't want to harp on this too much longer. But yeah, the five minute ride and, and oh, the joy. Uh, you know, I said mentioned they're they're very solid bands, good records. Um, Thank you. In fact, in fact, to be honest with you, Kurt, like pretty much everything you've done, I don't want to say is flawless, but you have a very very good track record with all your projects. Thank but you so much, you, man. You guys, you guys got signed to Rise Records, and you put out a record. And I know Rise Records wasn't the Rise Records it is today. Absolutely, it yeah. was a lot smaller of a operation with you know Craig doing it all himself. Yeah, but still, I mean, if you were the old guy in the band. Um, at the time, you guys must have been. Were they were they still in high school when when that record came out? I want to say they had graduated. Like I was waiting for them to graduate, and okay. we would play. You know, around around town, we would rent out. You know, VFW halls and stuff like that, and and 
you know, the shows were nuts. You know, we'd play on the ground. It was just that awesome, just grassroots, you know, scene. And and I loved it. And we were um, we were up in El Dorado Hills, Cameron Park area, which is even farther away from Citrus Heights. Um, and uh, and yeah, so then. And once we had kind of a fan base up there, um, a guy named Eric Rushing, he he kind yeah. of approached all of us. And Artery, we f- Artery Foundation. He, and yes, sir. Yeah. Runs the and Ace bef- of Spades, or at least used to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it got bought by House of Blues, but he still yeah. runs it. I, okay, yeah, okay. he's still, yep. yeah. Um, but, An uh, instrumental man in, in the Sacramento scene, that's for sure. Totally, totally. So, yeah, I mean, I... I was managed by Eric for, gosh, I want to say like eight or nine years before wow. I, you know, before I was like, oh, okay, I, I, you know, I, I think I got the hang of this. But, um, but yeah, so he kind of approached Five Minute Ride and was like, hey, I want, I want to sign you to my label 720 Records before the Artery Foundation. And, um, and yeah, I, I mean, things just kind of snowballed there. We played a New Year's Eve show with a band called Shorty and another band called Still Life Projector. And, oh, yeah. um, yeah, and and actually, I think it was because of Still Life Projector <clears throat> getting to signed to Rise Records um, that we we kind of got piggybacked on onto that. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> oh, do, yeah. do you guys want to sign to Rise? Still Life Projector just signed to Rise, and it seems like it's going really well, blah, blah, blah. They have Anatomy of a Ghost on there, and I was I was a pretty big fan of Anatomy of a Ghost yeah, back in the day. Band. Yeah, and so um, I think they even had Fear Before the March of Flames yeah, as they well. Did. You're right. That was kind um, of the big Rise band, actually. Yeah, yeah, and and so I was like, oh man, this is this is it. Like we, you know, and uh, it was just really, it was really cool after that. Like, so that's kind of how we got signed to Rise was through Eric Rushing. And Eric found us playing our shows in Cameron Park, and I'm I believe we sent him like a, a, a like a press pack, uh, like a, a right. video and a demo, and they loved it. And so, yeah, we became in cahoots because of that. <clears throat> so, so did you know any of the Dance Gavin Dance guys at this point? When did you meet them, or was this completely separate? Yeah. So right after Eric. Um, kind of got us into the Sacramento scene and we were playing um, the boardwalk and we would play this place called the underground, which was a church. And then, you know, we even played like the colonial theater and whatnot. Um, Will Swan was actually in a band. I think it's called farewell unknown and five minute ride and farewell unknown used to play shows together. Um, so that's kind of how we met. And, um, actually when I was still in five minute ride, uh, I played a show, we played a show with dance, Gavin dance. I think it was a few shows actually. And five minute ride would play with the fall of Troy. Five minute ride would play with, um, uh, heavy, heavy Lolo, uh, <laughs> down in San Jose yeah. and even Tara Mellos. Tara Mellos was also in that, in that group of, of bands and, also, we we loved the metal and hardcore scene as well. So we would play with Embrace the End and um, a band called Beneath the Ashes. And uh, just, I mean, the Sacramento 
Epstein has really just kind of kept a consistent amount yeah. of of talented bands and uh and yeah i mean embrace the end got signed to century media and they did a bunch of stuff and uh you know obviously tara mellis is on sergeant house which they're still right. doing really well and um and you know the fall of troy and everything and that's sure. that's kind of how i met thomas Arak was yeah. because of that time as well and uh so everything is kind of yeah close knit and what a uh, small world yeah exactly so, okay so you mel- so you meet Will your guys are playing in some bands together obviously he goes on to form I guess Dance Gavin Dance and then yes. years go by um, you know I- I'm not really sure there's a bit of a period of time where I'm not sure what you're doing but somehow you get the phone call that uh, Johnny Craig's not in the band anymore or they're kicking him out and. Yep. You, I mean, either you, I don't know, did you decide to try out? Did they call you? How did that, how did that happen? So I remember I was on the light rail at the time and my phone was about to get shut off, which is crazy. Um, (laughs) But I thought it was already shut off and Eric had called me um, and he was like, hey, uh, do you, you of course, you know that and Dance Gavin Dance was like, yeah. And they're like, they want, they want you to try out for the band. So I was like, oh crap, like that's, this is incredible. Um, and yeah, at, during that time I was doing Oh the Joy. Um, and there was even another band that I was in called No Not Constant. Um, oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, right, right. <laughs> we put out a little, uh, little EP. I love that EP. Um, yeah, a lot of like those four songs. songs, isn't it? It's yeah. like a real short EP. Yeah. It is, it is good. Yep. But that goes back to what I'm saying about, you know, you've had a lot of great music uh, come out. So there's all this, this stuff. Like if people are a fan of you, there's so much stuff people can, can find out about, which is very cool. But anyways, go on. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I've, I just kind of had always that mentality of like, well, something's going to pop. Like I might as yep, well, just, right. might as well just keep making music until something happens. And then, yeah, the, the big break happens. I, I, uh, I tried out for dance, Gavin dance and, um, it was crazy. It was between me and Kellen Quinn from yeah, Sleeping with Sirens. Yeah. And uh it was it it was kind of intimidating cuz I had, I I knew Kellen from from another band and we had, we had actually uh played a couple shows together prior to to this and uh I remember they were like they they tried him out, they tried me out and they they said they really liked me and, and we we went to their practice spot. And, uh, and they were like, yeah, well, we'll definitely let you know. And then, uh, they were like, well, Hey, can you write a song? And I was just like, yeah, I can write a song, but like, I'm not in the band. Like, you know what I mean? So I, I remember not like throwing a fit, but well, if you want me to write, you got to like choose me in the band. And Kellen wrote one already. I think that's why they asked me. And I had heard it, and I was just like, man, if you want me in the band, like, you know, I'll write the song for sure. But I'm not going to do it if you're not going to, you know, if you're not going to have me in the band. And if you want this guy, then cool. Like, that's that's it. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I guess I kind of threw some, you know, some toot at them a little bit. And then they, I guess it was the right thing because they went with me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was actually that song, Uneasy Hearts Way the Most. 
Well, what a what a weird world it would be uh, in in post hardcore if it was oh Killing Quinn, right? And and right. that never happened. And then who knows what you would have done? And the space time continuum, you know? This, yeah, uh, the uh, parallel universe r- r- in which Kellen is in <laughs> Kellen is in DGD. Yeah. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> and if he still would be, or what would have happened? Um, but yeah. you know, going into that band, and I mean Johnny Craig. At the time, I think it was a, it was a lot more under the radar, his extreme personality. But what was known about him was his voice, and yes, you still absolutely. had you still had some very big shoes to fill. Uh, and oh my god, that must yeah. have been. I mean, I don't know if you were prepared for that uh, because they are big shoes. Yes, yes, and and you're absolutely right. I was not prepared. I had no idea the kind of uh, backlash or ridicule that I would have seen online. It was incredible because it's funny to think now because, you know, the people that like my voice, they definitely, nobody talks crap on me anymore. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but when I was in the band, that was like the cool thing to do was, oh, bring Johnny back. We hate this new guy. Yeah. So it was... (laughs) It was really interesting, um, and I had to just literally just not look at the comments. There was so many, there was so many comments. I just had to be like, "All right, I'm not going to look at them. I'm just going to do what I do," and you know, it is what it is. And uh, Johnny and I actually we we've been friends before Dance Gavin Dance. We've we're friends now, and. Uh, and it's been a crazy journey, me and him, because yeah, I'm in the band, he's in the band, I'm in the band. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's cra- it is crazy. It it's crazy. Yeah. And, and I and I do want to talk about you know you're you're leaving, but you know now the aftermath, and it's 2019. You know, so we're talking yeah. about something that happened almost 10 years ago, or I yeah. guess it was 10 years ago. Uh, it's crazy. You know, uh, but it's amazing that everybody's sort of come out of this respecting each other even being friends and even working together you know you still work with will uh you know with your other with your other bands on his label and you and johnny have done solo tours and you and tillian have done solo tours and you've come back to do all this stuff and like i don't think it's all just you know everyone's just like oh it's a paycheck like there's friendship and there is respect there which is incredible because uh, so many times that does not happen well, and and you know, I, I don't I don't know how to really say this, but you fight that sort of stigma forever, and you're like, I don't want to be associated with Johnny. I don't want to be associated with DGD. I want to be my own thing. But at the end of the day, you just kind of you're like, well, this is my life, and mm-hmm. I'm thankful for what I have through this crazy roller coaster of of a career yeah and um and i think all of us i can speak for all of us even when you know tillian and tides of man um and me being in dgd and 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 johnny doing doing the many projects that he's done um at this point we embrace it and we are thankful for what we have because there's not a lot of honestly there's not a lot of um areas where you get those sort of opportunities like you nobody would get 
any of these opportunities. And uh, I I work with other bands. I manage bands. Um, yeah. I just picked up a band called Body Thief. They're incredible. They're from Maryland. And uh, it's just, I see these incredible bands and they don't have a platform. They can't get a tour. They can't, you know, break through. And that was never an issue for us. You right. know what I mean? We always had this sort of fan base in this kind of subgenre, which is funny because I remember when I was in DGD, we had hard times trying to find good tours as well. And so we'd be like, you know what? Screw this. Like, we're just going to go out and headline and we're just going to go. <laughs> we're going to have to tour with Silverstein. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was a good one. God help <laughs> us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that was a great one. But, you know, bands don't even get those kind of opportunities. And so right. when I look back, you know, I just think, gosh, how thankful I am to, to be, to, to have a home, to have sort of a, right. this family that, uh, you know, of, of musicians and now DGD is bigger than ever before. It's very and true. So, Massive now. You it's know, crazy. It's it, crazy. It's it like only, they've doubled. It's yeah. like they've doubled. Their shows have doubled in the last, you know, two or three years. Oh my God. It's, it's their time. It's yeah. their time. And I'm so proud of all those guys. They never gave up. They stuck it out. And now they're, they're reaping the benefits yeah. of all those, all those hard times and those crazy decisions. And, right. you know, Will and I have had, you know, been crying in each other's arms <laughs> saying, well, I'm so sorry about this and about that. And it's okay. You know, right. and, and well, it, it hasn't been easy easy but you know yeah go ahead no i mean you, you know i think the difference is you haven't been sitting around waiting like by the phone waiting for dance gavin dance to call you know you, right, ha you had a right. full career with a lot like birds you've done all your solo stuff all these other projects all these other collaborations you know but you say they never gave up you know dg yes. never gave up but they did give up on you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they I'm did. glad you laughed, they but it's did. true. I mean, going yes. back to you did two records, um, both pretty good records. You know, John Mess, yeah. you know, left the band, came back, and then it seems like I mean, you got ousted. You know, to to yeah. bring Johnny Craig yeah. back. I mean, you weren't reading the comments, but clearly they were, and they thought that that was the yes. move they had to make. So, what 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 shook out there? Because it's pretty limited. You know, the information about what really happened. They try and keep it pretty hush hush, and I've I've always told people individually, you know, even if somebody will comment and be like, "Why did you leave DGD?" It happened last night. <laughs> it's never going away. <laughs> somebody asked, "Why did you leave DGD?" And I said, "You know what? I didn't leave. I got kicked out. Then, you know, I got kicked out for Johnny. Johnny got kicked out, and then they found themselves with Tillian, and and now they're with Tillian." And, uh, well, that's the 10 second story. Right. Right. <laughs> so, I, I mean, if we really, really want to get into it, uh, when I joined DGD, um, I, I smoked a pack a day, literally smoked a pack a day, smoked as much weed as I could literally. And I am no saint. There are a lot of other drugs that I've done in my life. And, uh, and DGD is no secret, like, they are party dudes. Yes. They, 
I mean, obviously, they've probably slowed down a little bit, but I, honestly, I don't think so. You know, they, they're... <laughs> well, the tour, that's just who they are. The tour we they're, did in 2010 was pretty intense. Like, there, you know, there were nights... Yeah. <laughs> there was one night I remember, like, I think we were in Seattle or something, and I, like, went to say bye to you guys, and, and it was like, well... Everyone's too fucked up to drive the van, so I don't know. We're just going to have to get, like, the least fucked up person to, to make it to the next show. I'm like, don't do that. Yeah. Don't drive. Yeah. Like, you guys are fucking crazy. They they are. They're they're absolutely crazy, and I'm, I'm, I was right there with them. So, yeah. um, and the fact that Johnny, you know, can can drink like a freaking fish and everything under the sun and just get up on stage and and not hit a sour note the entire show is incredible yeah. it's 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 a freaking miracle and yeah i was trying to keep up with those guys and and i can't i like i need my tea i need you know <laughs> i can't drink before the show i need my in-ear monitors like that sort of thing like i i have learned that now but when i was you know, young and when I was in my early 20s in DGD, I did not do that. I did whatever I wanted before the show. I did whatever I wanted after the show. And it definitely affected my my live performance. And I remember there was a European tour that was really rough. I, I remember like me me and Matt Mingus went in on a, a carton of, of, of cigs from America and we thought they were going to last for the whole tour and they didn't. And so then we started smoking the, the European ones and those are way more harsh and they just ruined my voice, just totally screwed it up. And I remember it's probably my worst performances, man. And yeah. Um, I, 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 to go back to your question, I think that's what it was. It was like, man, Kurt is sucking ass right now. Right. And everybody wants Johnny in the band. And of course, Johnny can do whatever he wants and he sings like a freaking angel. So it's like, <laughs> it, it must have, I, I don't blame them at the time. It was probably a no brainer. It was like, Johnny wants back in. Kurt doesn't really sound very good live right now. Um, and I think that was all it was, you know, and I, I remember Will calling me and saying, hey, Kurt, uh, I'm not happy with Dance Gavin Dance right now the way it is. And so I think I'm going to end the band. And I'm sure he's had these ideas of ending Dance Gavin Dance many, many oh, times. How could you not? Yeah. So, so, yeah. So he told me he was like. Hey, but I, I just want to let you know we're gonna get Johnny back in the band for one last tour, and and that's that. Uh, that's what we're gonna do. And so I think the one last tour, they just kept going. And well, let's do another album and yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah. So you don't you don't feel like there was a like there there was as much bad intentions towards ousting you as like you know as it maybe appears now. Yeah, I don't think it was a personality thing. I right. don't think it was uh, even, you know, they didn't like my voice. I just think it was, all right, this ship is sinking and we we need to do something quick and we need to do something drastic. And this is the right publicity stunt to, <laughs> yeah. to, to get everybody back on board. Um, so... And I can't imagine, you know, because they had to kick him out again. I can't imagine what they must have felt 
when they kicked out Johnny again and was just like, well, crap, what do we do? Kurt's already in a lot like birds and he probably hates us right now. Um, you know what I mean? Well, you probably were, I mean, when you, was there a bit of relief too? I mean, it seems like you were in the band for what, two and a half years or so. And it was like, yeah, kind of hellish for you. Right. With everything you had to do. And then a lot like birds seemed like, I mean, it's a great band too, obviously not as popular, But maybe better, just better in terms of your, you know, your psyche and your, you know, just well-being. Is that it was fair? crazy, man. When I found a lot like birds, absolutely. I was like, yes, this feels right. Th- these guys are incredible. Uh, Joseph Arrington, just the best drummer I've ever seen, uh, you know, and I was just like, holy crap. I found a gold mine with these guys. Yeah. Um, and the Law Dispute Band, um, uh, Touche Amore, Loma Prieta, all those bands were like really killing it. And I loved a lot like Birds and their their spoken word aspect to their music. And just it kind of felt like this new sound of emo was yeah. was uh, was coming out. And I I I wanted to be on the forefront of that. I was like, yes, this is what I want. Um, and it's crazy the amount of offers I was getting to join other bands. Um, you know, there Tides of Man. I got an offer to join Tides of Man after I got kicked out. Um, How weird would that, would that have been? I you switched places dude, with honestly, the dude. Tillian, <laughs> t- yeah, Tillian <laughs> called me up and was like, "Dude, I want you to try out for Tides of Man. I'm going to be singing with Sayosin." Oh yeah, and that so, whole thing, of course. And, yeah. And I was like, dude, there's no way I can sing your freaking songs. And he was like, dude, you totally can. Your your range is just as high as mine, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, right, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I turned that down. Emerosa actually approached me and was like, hey, do you want to sing for Emerosa? And I was like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I'm not filling. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah, going to be. The Johnny Craig part two, you know, again. Um, and then another one that I almost took was of Mice and Men. My boy, oh, yeah. uh, Tino, my boy Tino yeah. was, but uh, he hit me up and, and I actually did say yes. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. They they got me a plane ticket. Uh, Shaylee was, was out of the band, I guess, and they needed a singer guitar player. And I was like, dude, this, this might work. This, this sounds cool. And I just, ah, the, the night before I tossed and turns and was just like, this isn't me. I, I, I had to call him up and be like, dude, I love you so much, but I just can't see myself in this band. Um, yeah. And a lot of the times I think about what could have happened with, with the mice and men and me, um, you know, if it, what, you know, if I would be in the band now or what, um, because they're obviously larger than life as well. And, uh, it would have been a good move, you know, and I could have, I could have had the same platform to, to write my own stuff or, you know, do whatever I wanted to. But, uh, a lot like birds felt right. It was like, this is the sound I want. These guys are incredible musicians and I want to do, this and so i made my decision and i I'm, I'm actually really really thankful i did yeah man, absolutely so. it seems like when you left a lot like birds 
you know, you know, you guys made some very good albums together. I have a fan question later about a lot like birds. I want to ask you too. Um, but yeah. it seemed like it kind of just boom. You it was it was over. Like was there unfinished business there? Did, did how did that all come about? Because it didn't it didn't seem like a, a, over the course of time it faded away. It seemed like kind of it was a all of a sudden it was gone. Well. Uh... I'm sure, you know, in the music industry, it's a lot about saving face. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a lot about um, not airing out your dirty laundry, you know, and Uh and there were a lot of, there were a lot of internal struggles between me and, and, and other people in the band. And um, we were really, really working hard to kind of keep the ship sailing and, and keep it afloat. But at the end of the day, it was just kind of musical differences, and I just kind of felt like the magic had left. And so because of all the projects that I've been a part of and left, it was really, really easy for me to say, you know what? My heart's not in it anymore. I'm done. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I tried to com- compromise with those guys, and... um Basically, they were drastically changing their sound, and I was not for it. I was like, "Dudes, we've we've worked so hard to get where where we're at, and why would we completely change our sound to go for another fan base?" And you know, I just thought it was uh, not a good decision. Right. And um, lots of lots of very, I don't want to say stubborn, but just very. Uh, well, I guess I said stubborn. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I mean, that's that's a word that you know, maybe an underused word for a lot of people. You know, because right. people are they just very set in their ways. Uh, basically, I wanted. I was like, okay, I hear this sound. Yes, I know what you're going for, but we also can't abandon the sound that we have been working for. You know, working trying to build for five, six years now. So. I wanted to be like, yo, you got to write five a lot like birds songs and then we'll take the best five of this new sound and incorporate that into our next record. And uh, yeah, they put it to a vote and they didn't want to do it. So it's I was like, all right, well, I, I can't I can't do so. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, if it's not going to sound like a lot like birds, I might as well just do my solo project. Right. You know, or or I'll just find something else. You know, and it was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. Really, I loved that band. I still do. The lyrics in 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 those albums that we wrote, and just the the compositions of those songs, I'm very 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 proud of. Absolutely. Um, and and when when Divizzi you know, without me, I definitely listened to it, and I was like, "Wow, this sounds a lot better than than the demos that they showed me." <laughs> Dang it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so. Well, it takes a big maybe, man. It takes a big man to admit that too. So uh, yeah, so it was. Divizzi was an incredible record, and part of me wishes that I would have just stuck it out and. Uh, stayed in the band, right. but I, I think it was for the best. Honestly, I, well, I really do. I, I got to focus on my solo project a lot more, and you know, I, I, I really had a chance to start building uh, that that moniker up uh, by touring extensively. 
effectively with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to talk about all that before I let you go. But I do have a fan question related to what we just talked about from Dustin Harrell. And um, uh, here's what he says. He says, uh, the A Lot Like Birds album, No Place, connected with me on so many levels that I got the entire album art tattooed on my thigh with the words, "Wow, I think I'm okay now. I was curious on the song No Nurture. Was that song written to fit the album or was it more from personal experience? Wow. Um, That's an incredible question. Uh, And yes, it it definitely, all those songs were written to fit sort of a, uh, sort of a a theme. Every song was uh, a different room in the house. And that song, No Nurture, was the living room. And and the living room, to me, really kind of signified kind of the the family song, you know. And uh, Corey's lyrics are are very explicit when he says, you know, things about his father. And and, um, I was definitely working off of that. But I was also, I quit smoking cigs. Oh, good that, for you! Congratulations. That record, yeah, it's been it's been so long now. It's, it's it's so me and Corey were writing about the living room, and and for me, it was about that, but it was also about uh, me quitting cigarettes, and I I had not had a smoke um, two weeks, and then we went and recorded uh, that album, and it was much easier by myself. But at that time, almost everybody in A Lot Like Birds uh, smoked cigs. So it was really, really hard for me to be around them. Yeah. There was a point when we were recording that I remember buying a pack of cigarettes and just staring at them. And I walked over to the overpass and I just started bawling and I threw them over the, the overpass. And... To me, I think that lyric amount was that was just a very therapeutic, symbolic moment for me. Of I think I'm all right. I think I'm okay. I, I you know, yeah. I'm not getting any younger, and um, I'm more aware of that. And uh, so, yeah. So the I think I'm okay now. It, it definitely had to do with family. Uh, but it also had an underlying sense of, uh, me letting go of something. Wow. Me letting go of, of something that I, I definitely held dear. I loved smoking cigarettes. It was like the, it was my thing. I, you know, and I, like I said, I was very heavily addicted pack a day guy. Yeah. So I haven't had a cigarette since, since we recorded that record two weeks prior to that record. Um, and I stuck to it. And it was uh, one of those things. It's always going to be a pinnacle moment in my life. It was when I like overcame that that addiction. Um, so, yeah. Good for you. It's interesting yeah. the parallels you have with smoking to, to Cove um, from, from Salesen. You know? Really? Almost yeah. the same thing happened yeah. to him. I, he, he had so much stress with Anthony Green filling Anthony Green's shoes and people saying, oh, where I the bet. hell is Anthony? That he started smoking because of the stress. 
Yeah. And then that yeah. led to his voice having major vocal issues too and him getting ousted from 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 Saleson. Yeah. It it's I mean it's so crazy. I Cove on a way bigger hill in my opinion, you know, like holy crap, what shoes to fill. You know, that <laughs> yeah. Anthony Green's literally the um and uh he did an incredible job and I I must uh, you know I, I can't imagine how that that must have, you know, took a toll on him. Yeah. Well, it did. I did two episodes with Cove just, you know, a couple months ago. And, you know, now he's... Oh, cool. He took a long hiatus from music where he went back to working, you know, regular jobs and stuff. He wasn't doing music at all. And now he's in a new band called Dead American. Uh, they're doing the Beartooth tour. So it's, it's really good, really good to see him oh, wow. back on his feet as well. That's so awesome. Yeah, man. So you got a lot of stuff going on still right now. I really want to make sure everybody knows what you got going on. You got your band Royal Coda, yeah. which is signed to Will's Blue yes. Swan Records. You guys are playing Swan Fest. Yep, yep. You have another band called Pushover with Thomas Eric as well. Or Iraq. I never knew how to say his last yeah, name. Yeah. Uh, and Iraq, Strawberry yeah. Girl is another <laughs> band you're kind of in. Not to mention Eternity Forever, which was, I think, still happening. And you have Esk Records. Yeah. Is that about cover it? <laughs> oh, and you manage Adventurer, and you also manage that other band from Maryland that you mentioned. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. There's, there's a little... A lot of there's a lot of things I got my hands in for sure. So, <laughs> how do you do it, man? How do you like? How do you schedule that? How do you? What do you? You wake up in the morning and you say, "I got ten million things to do," and not to mention who's going to call me. Like, what's what's it going to be today? That right. just seems overwhelming. Well, I I try to do my best, man. I, I some some days are better than others, and uh, there's a lot of fans commenting where's this project or where's this project or, or are you going to do this or are you going to do that and and the answer is yes but <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes uh but yeah all in due time and and i never try and rush anything that's that's also another thing is uh, i don't really care when i put this stuff out it, when it's right is when i'll put it out and when we'll put it out but i can say that I just got back from Detroit, uh, recording new pushover uh, tracks. There will be an EP out on Ask Records um, cool. very soon, um, and probably our first tour. Uh, me and Thomas um, as pushover. Uh, Royal Coda's gearing up to doing another album. I think I'm in the studio this April with Royal Coda. And I'm currently doing a solo album, which I haven't done in four years, yeah. which a lot of people have been saying, hey, when are you going to do some new stuff? And it's like, well, I put out a split <laughs> mm -hmm. and I did the Eternity Forever EP, you know, and, and so um, I've been really kind of pushing those efforts. Uh, but yeah, now, now I'm definitely focusing on my solo work and Royal Coda and, and Pushover. And Thomas has his own side project called Thomas Arak yeah. and the Shoreline. Yeah. Um, and it's actually also out on Blue Swan Records. Um, and so, 
me and him, you know, we're we're not we're not in a hurry. We're not in a rush to put anything out. We've got plenty of of projects to to keep going with. Uh, but when when we're happy with it, we'll put it out. And uh, same goes with literally everything I do. Is when when I think it's ready, we'll definitely put it out. Well, I think that's a great mantra. I think that's a great mantra to have, Kurt. And I think that that does speak to your body of work because uh, with all the different things you've done, sang on, people you've collaborated, it really is a tremendous, uh, you know, I give you I give you a, an A plus, an A to an A plus uh, on it. Oh, thank it's, you it's so much, It's really, man. really <laughs> it is inspiring, you know, that you can be pushed and pulled in so many directions and have so much stuff and still it's like every song is like pretty good imaginative creative um and and is actually saying something so i think that that that's a good thing to draw it's just hey don't rush things make sure that that at the end of the day no matter what drama goes on behind the scenes the song is good and i think that that's uh right that's uh you know speaks to speaks to you Thank you so much, Shane. And I, I really, really appreciate you. Uh, it's really a, a treat. It's very cool for me to be on here. So thank you so much. Oh, of course, dude. You wouldn't believe the amount of requests I've had for you. Um, you know, so I'm glad, we, awesome. I'm glad we could connect. And I feel like it's a great time to talk, you know, with everything coming up. Um, so uh, everybody should yeah. check out Ask Records, which you run with your wife, Lauren, uh, and, and all these projects you're doing. Uh, and your solo stuff, but you know, I always play music on this podcast at the end of the show. Yeah. Now i I have a lot of trouble picking a song um, for <laughs> for you, so maybe I'll ask you if you don't mind yeah. picking um, picking a tune, something you know, it can be really from any of your your projects, but just something that maybe you know you'd like people to hear that you're proud of. Totally. I I, I think. Um Right off the bat, I would say listen to anything to save by Royal Coda. Um, it's it's just it's a it's a great song. It's very high energy and uh, just really kind of showcases what I can do. Okay, so, all right, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that answer, man. Anything to save? <laughs> Here it is. Yeah, on lead singer syndrome.
There is Kurt Travis's Royal Coda with the song Anything to Save. And wasn't that cool? Man, so much there. And uh, thank you so much, Kurt, for taking the time to do that, especially out of your busy studio day. And uh, yeah, get ready for that solo record that's going to drop independently. Check out Esk Records. Check out check out just everything this guy's got going on. Follow him on Twitter or, or I don't know, just... Just go, just consume. This guy has an incredible track record. And thank you for being here once again with me. Next week, we will be back. I will be in Asia, actually. Singapore, to be exact. One of the members of the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. A top-tier member. He's getting married. I'm playing his wedding I'm doing an emo night Singapore. It's going to be a blast. But don't worry. I will have a new episode up for your consumption. And it's a good one. Another very informative one. Bit of a different vibe. But that's what we like to do on this show. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your cold week. And I'll see you next time. Peace and love.